0: letter out this week. and we're glad that is now without call, so he ought to be whimsical and full of uh, everything but, yeah, and what a great servant of the Lord, amen, the day. Father, we thank you so much for this service so far, just how our hearts are gratitude by the coming of the Son, Lord Jesus Christ. By these sweet prayers of my praise, by the plead of the worship and saying, give glory as we faith. Thank you for bringing us the pulsa to this moment. We pray that uh as we dig into your word Lord, that it would not just be visible. All with what you did in Christ. We go forth with great courage and great willingness to share the love of Christ We bless you for one another, we bless you for your Son, and uh, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 68 and a half years ago this week, in the midst of World War II, the Battle of Normandy began and quickly resulted in the Allied liberation of Western Europe from Nazi Germany's control. The uh, invasion was codenamed Operation Overlord, Operation Overlord. And the battle began on June 6, 1944, also known as D-Day, when some 156,000 American, British, and Canadian forces landed on five beaches along a 50-mile stretch of the heavily fortified coast of France's Normandy region. The British and Canadian forces overcame light opposition to capture the beaches, codenamed Gold, Juno, and Sword, and the U.S. forces likewise pretty quickly captured Utah Beach. There was heavy resistance at Omaha Beach, however, and there were over 2,000 American casualties. According to some estimates, more than 4,000 Allied troops lost their lives in the D-Day invasion, with thousands more wounded or missing. The invasion was one of the largest assaults in history and required extensive planning. But by late August of that same year, just two months after D-Day, all of northern France had been liberated. And just 17 months after D-Day, Adolf Hitler had committed suicide and the Germans unconditionally surrendered. Last week in Bill's uh, excellent message, Unconditional Surrender, he said that peace comes when one side overwhelms another side. And the losing side in the war unconditionally surrendered. He said that on the night the angels were announcing to the shepherds the birth of Christ that God was winning the war on sin and death and the devil. He was setting into motion those events that would lead to total victory and that that victory was inevitable. The war wasn't against nations, Bill said wasn't against people per se. The war was against sin and death, for our redemption and reconciliation. And as the stronger force in this war, God in his mercy was about to impose his solution on his world. That's what I want to celebrate this morning. God imposing his solution on his world not the sweet baby Jesus meek and mild this morning, but the greatest invasion by the greatest warrior king, the very God of gods, in the fullness of time, invading the kingdoms of this world with the kingdom of his Christ. Because just like the Normandy invasion, the birth of Christ was a massive invasion. Just like the Normandy invasion, the birth of Christ was planned a long time before the Christ child stormed the beaches of man. And just like the Normandy invasion, the birth of Christ was the beginning of the end of a war. The title of my message this morning is God's Operation Overlord. God's Operation Overlord. Because he is, in fact, Lord over all. John said it this way, the true light that gives life to every man was coming into the world. In him was light. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. My first point this morning is that God has contended for us. God has contended for us. Christ. One way to think about the Christmas season with fresh awareness is to meditate on the fact that in Christ, God was fighting for us, that he was waging war, that he was entering into battle in a new level. He was contending for us. Because of Bill's theme last week, of war, surrender, and peace. And my meeting this week of the same, I actually was going to of the perils, but uh, God took me a completely different direction. I have to believe that this emphasis is the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I'm grateful for that. In the Old Testament, one of the descriptors of God that's easy to miss is that God is a warrior, that he is a warrior king. You first see this in Exodus 15. This is right after... Uh, Pharaoh and his chariots have been thrown into the sea. And there's something there called the Song of Moses, where Moses and the Hebrews are singing a song of gratefulness to God, of victory. And they say, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song he has become my salvation. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Then many centuries later, the prophet Isaiah also picked up this theme as he prophesied of the coming Messiah. Approximately 700 years before the birth of Christ, he said, The Lord will march out like a mighty man. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. Then finally, Zephaniah, prophesying in regard to the restoration of Jerusalem, says, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang in. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So in the birth of Christ, we see this great warrior king invading the kingdoms of this world, indeed contending for us as part of his great invasion plan formulated for the foundation of the world. This reality of a God who fights for us, who contends for us, is indeed a biblical notion. I want to read to you uh, just before Moses was were delivered and they sang that song I referenced earlier. The chariots were coming down upon them. They were backed up to the Red Sea. And through Moses, uh, Moses said this, The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. I love that verse. The Lord will fight for you. You have only, some virgins say, to be silent. in Isaiah, regarding the restoration of Israel, the Lord declares, I will contend with those who contend with you. Isn't that beautiful? I will contend with those who contend with you. And your children, I will say, I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. God is a mightier warrior. Amen? And he contended for us in Christ. That's my first point. Secondly, I want to say that this reality, or one reality that may have escaped us somewhat, is that with the invasion of of God through Christ, the birth of Christ, there was a cosmic collision of kingdoms going on, the kingdom of light colliding and overtaking the kingdom of darkness, and this resulted in something we don't talk about very often, and that is the eruption of violence, and it's a violence that stays, has stayed with us even to this day. Let me, let me bring this out a little bit. Do you remember in the story of the birth of Christ, mostly on the heels of Christ's birth, in Matthew 2, we read about something called the slaughter of the innocents. Let's turn there together. This is Matthew chapter 2. We're just going to read verses 16 through 18. Matthew 2, 16-18, it says, Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its environs, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Yes, violence erupted and continues to erupt as a result of these two kingdoms clashing. This could be called the underbelly of Christmas is this violence that uh, resulted One interesting thing I read was that um, this event called the Slaughter of the Innocents is not recorded in any uh, secular literature. Josephus and other historians that often talk about events that the Bible talks about doesn't talk about this event. It's not talked about until about the year 400. That's led some scholars to think, well, this is just a myth, or this is just a story. And yet, if you study Herod's life... Herod the Great we're talking about, who was appointed king of the Jews in about 40 BC by the Roman Senate. If you study his life, this story becomes very believable. Because several uh, conferences and seminars and scholars have gotten together over the years to study his life. Some of them have labeled him a paranoid schizophrenic. But in any case, they have noted this pattern of him... um, hearing a threat to his throne or some rumor and executing a bunch of people and then going into a depression, slowly coming out of that depression, and then building, building, building. He was known for his building, wasn't he? Um, And let me tell you some of the people that he executed. When he first came to power, there were about 50 Hasmonean predecessors that he executed. He eliminated his brother-in-law, Aristobulus. He killed his mother-in-law, Alexandra. He killed his second wife, Miriamne, in 29 BC. He had three of his own sons killed. He had 300 military leaders executed. A number of Pharisees after a prophecy. With all of this, is it any wonder that Herod wanted to eliminate Jesus, when the wise men revealed the new king of the Jews, had been born. Then in 400, a man named Macrobius, one of the last pagan writers in Rome in his book Saturnalia, wrote, when it was heard that as part of the slaughter of boys up to two years old, Herod, king of the Jews, had ordered his own son to be killed, Emperor Augustus remarked, it is better to be Herod's. violence, the slaughter of the innocents. Then we have Jesus' own words consider in Matthew 11 verse 12. We read this verse. He says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. This is a difficult verse to uh, translate and interpret because the verb Suffers can be taken in different ways. But I like the way the New Living Translation uh, translates this verse. It says, And from the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacked. F.F. Bruce this book, The Hard Sayings of Jesus, to some extent supports that interpretation of that verse. He says uh, the verb in this clause may have the intransitive force, meaning the kingdom of God has been forcing its way in. It could be said in favor of this last interpretation that the ministry of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven was on the march taking the field against the forces of evil that held the souls and bodies of men and women in bondage. The mighty works that were an essential part of his ministry were the powers of the age to come, invading the present age and establishing a beachhead on its territory which was destined to expand until nothing of the old order left. It seems to me that that interpretation Is in keeping with Isaiah 9, verse 7, that we quote at Christmas time, that of the increase of his government there shall be no end. So I ask you to consider that interpretation and that verse. Then we have the head of John the Baptist on a platter after the daughter of Herodias uh, danced and pleased uh, King Herod. And Herod. Uh, promised her whatever she would like. And the daughter went to her mother, and the mother said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so there in the midst of the party, they bring his head on a silver platter. We could look at the life and the passion and the crucifixion of Jesus, couldn't we? He was called insane. He was called demon-possessed. On at least one occasion, the Jews took up stones to stone him. Uh, They had tried on another occasion to throw him off the cliff. Then we read about his passion, how he was beaten and scourged, spit upon, and marched through the streets uh, carrying his cross and crucified. We could go on to the martyrdom of Stephen, James, Paul, and most of the apostles. We could talk about the persecutions of Nero, Domitian, and Pliny. We're most familiar with. Nero's persecution. Most of us hear quotes like this. Some Christians were dressed in furs and killed by dogs. Others were crucified or burned alive to light the night. What about current violence? What about radical Islam? What about uh, this girl named Malala last this past October? who was riding in a school bus uh, in Pakistan, in the Swat Valley. And uh, a Pakistani terrorist came on the bus, asked which one of them was Malala, and shot her in the head and neck, as well as two of her friends. Thankfully, she's recovering. And uh, what what was her offense? She was advocating on her blog for education. CNN writes this about birth, they, they write, and why are the Taliban so afraid of Malala? Mostly because she's not afraid of them. What a great lie. Some ill-informed people, lay almost all the violence of history at the feet of Christianity, citing the Crusades, Salem witch hunts, and so on. And yet the fact is, it is the forces of darkness that are overwhelmingly responsible for all this violence. In Greg Kuko's book called Tactics, he takes on this argument. Here's what he says The historical facts show that the greatest evil has always resulted from denial of God, not pursuit of God. Grab an older copy as the Guinness book of world records and turn to the category judicial, subheading crimes, colon mass killings. You'll find that carnage of unimaginable proportions resulted not from religion, but from institutionalized atheism. Over 66 million wiped out under Lenin, Stalin, and Khrushchev. Between 32 and 61 million Chinese killed under communist regimes. One third of the 8 million premiers, 2.7 million people, were killed between 1975 and 1979 because of year The greatest evil has not come from people zealous for God. It has resulted when people are convinced there is no God they must answer. Violence. Two kingdoms clashing. Even Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And he was talking about our closest relationships. Let me read that verse to you. He said, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. That's Matthew 10, verses 34 and 35. So, yes, the coming of the kingdom of God through Christ has provoked violence from the kingdom of darkness, as men love darkness rather than light, and the enemy of our soul continues to rage on like a roaring lion, not accepting defeat, seeking someone. Devout. In that very passage, it says, Be of sober spirit. Stay on the alert. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers around the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. So in light of the fact that God is a warrior who has contended for us, And in light of the fact that the collision of these two kingdoms has erupted in incredible violence, how should we live? How should we respond? Does the Bible give us an answer? And in fact, it does. In the book of Jude, verse 3, we see a call to action. It says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you, of our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down. Let me just read the second half of that again. I wrote to you appealing that you contend earnestly, earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down point number three In uh, short, God has contended for us. Now it's time that we contend for him. Now it's time that we contend for him. And my Bible notes that talk about the book of Jude, it starts out with um, these words. Fight! Exclamation point. Battle! Exclamation point. Wage war, exclamation point. Contend for the faith. Famously, the Apostle Paul said, fight the good fight of faith, didn't you? Now this, of course, is not physical fighting, but it's using the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to battle our enemies, to battle lies in relation to the truth. There are so many ways fight, aren't we? We can fight on our knees, praying fervently, consistently for those things that are God's will. We can be rich in good deeds. We can adorn the doctrine of God, meaning in our personhood and in our bearing, we can reflect as best as possible Jesus Christ and his ambassadorship to the world. We can minister to the poor, can't we? Christmas time presents a lot of opportunity to minister to the poor. We can proclaim the gospel, and we can defend the truth of the Word of God by using our sword, the Word of God itself. Recently, in my study of the Word, I tried to find what you might call surgical strike versus drone verses, if you will, uh, for some of the vain speculations and lofty ideas that exalt themselves against the living God, as uh, 2 Corinthians 10 5 says. For example, I decided that Psalm 42 is a pretty good uh, surgical strike when you're dealing with a militant atheist. You might say to him, Sir, I'm so glad that the Bible has a description for the mindset that you're demonstrating. It's called being a fool. And uh, Psalm 42.1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no life. What about those who say that a unborn baby is simply a mass of tissue? Jeremiah 1.5 might be the best. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. But before you were born, I consecrated you. What about the lie of atheistic evolution, Uh, that there was this amorphous substance that crawled up out of the water and somehow became man over time. I think Psalm 100, verse 3, is a drone verse. It is a surgical strike. It is a shot across the bow of atheistic evolution. Know that the Lord himself, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. Isn't that beautiful? Our scriptures, our word of God, have these surgical, striped verses if we care to know them. Isaac Watts, the famous English hymn writer, theologian, and logician, penned these penetrating words about contending faith. Said this: Am I a soldier of the cross? And he repeats that line: Am I a soldier of the cross? A follower of the Lamb, and shall I fear to own His cause or blush to speak His name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? In this vile world, a friend to grace, to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. That's one of the things I'm praying for us this morning, that he would increase our courage to speak. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by Thy word. The saints in all their glorious war shall conquer, though they die. They shall see the triumph from afar by faith, discerning God. When that illustrious day shall rise and all Thy armies shine in robes of victory through skies, the glory shall be. May we determine his for him. in the days ahead. He has already intended for us our great warrior king, launching this great offensive through the birth of his son Jesus Christ, God's operation overlord, God's operation overlord, where He has made it known to all humankind. Just one more word in closing. Martin Luther launched an offensive when in his day on October 31st, 1517, he nailed 95 pieces on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel. That act launched the Protestant Reformation and his hymn, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, became the battle cry of of the people at that time. The spirit of this song is what I want to celebrate this morning. And I want to invite you to celebrate with me the invasion of the kingdom of God through the birth of Jesus Christ. God's great power and strength and certain victory. That his kingdom, the kingdom of God, is a kingdom that is advancing still, a kingdom that cannot be overcome his kingdom that is forever let's stand and sing that song together a mighty fortress is our god
1: Ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabbath, His name. From age to age, the same. And He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to one fear, for God has will. His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For though his doom is sure. One lit. That word above all earthly power No thanks to Him abided The Spirit and the gifts are ours Through Him who with us silent Let good and kindred go His mortal life also Body they make God's truth still. His kingdom is forever.
0: Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the great invasion of your kingdom through your blessed Son, Jesus Christ. We do, in fact, Lord, ask you for Courage and boldness in the days ahead, Lord, as we contend for you as you have contended for us. We pray we would be worthy soldiers of the cross, proclaiming your excellencies and defending your truth wherever we go. We thank you for your victory, Lord, your kingdom that is marching on and will carry us to glory. Lead on, O King Eternal. Lead on, O Warrior King. We ask it in the mighty name of your Son.